I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Our guest today grew up in New York City, where he was a parade All-American while playing at Archbishop Malloy High School. He was recruited by Dean Smith to the University of North Carolina as a Tar Heel. He teamed up with Michael Jordan. He was a sixth player drafted by the Sacramento Kings, came to Houston, won two NBA championships. Currently, a studio analyst, he's teamed with Ernie Johnson, Charles Barkley, and Shaquille O'Neal on Inside the NBA. In our discussions, Kenny will discuss his vision and how he would run an NBA front office. Our guest, Kenny Smith. Welcome, friends. We have a unique guest today, an individual who not only played for Dean Smith and won national championships along with Michael Jordan and who played on NBA championship teams, but who's one of the most strategic analysts in the NBA today, our friend, Kenny the Jet Smith. Welcome, Kenny. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. I wish I was in, in, in Florida with you, though. <laughs> well, you know, I, if you look in the background, I'm in Pennsylvania now. So I've, I, okay. I, I come out of Florida. I come out of hibernation when it starts getting too hot. So I've, okay. got, the tree, I've got the trees in the background in western Pennsylvania. All so, right. Sounds good, then. But we had a, a tremendous time when we got together. Your story as a basketball player and what you learned playing for Dean Smith alongside Michael Jordan in college. Talk to our viewers a little bit about what that was like and what you gained from that. I think the first thing, you know, when you think of Carolina basketball and what you learn from it is the value of one through 12 and, um, and the importance of everything through one through 12. Then you also learn the importance of the people that are around one through 12, how important they are, and then the vision of the overall. So it's a collection of, you know, being ranked number one and winning national championships and all of those things are far beyond just dribbling the basketball and have, and calling the correct plays. And my first experience, Jeff, and, and I take this everywhere I go, Coach Smith says he has a rule. He had a rule that every single time that a player called, he would pick up for the player, regardless if he was on the phone with anyone, unless it was another player. So, and, and, and I, I thought it was kind of um, saying until it actually happened. And so the value of what it made me think of that he thought that I was valuable to him and to what he was doing. And it happened my draft day. Now, you never believe this. I get drafted by Sacramento. I'm the sixth pick in the draft. So when the NBA hands you the phone and they go, okay, they're gonna, we're going to call Sacramento and you're going to get to talk to the front office now. So I called. They called and they just hand me the phone and you're in the back. And I'm like, hello. And they're like, hello, uh, Sacramento Kings. I'm like, this is Kenny Smith. 
looking to speak to Coach Russell because Bill Russell was the coach at the time. And they said, hold on one sec. The music comes on. And I'm, I'm on the phone for about two minutes. And then they come back. The Sacramento Kings, may I help you? And I'm like, this is Kenny Smith. I'm calling for Coach Russell. Go back on another two minutes. The lady comes back, the secretary, and goes, what's your name again? And I literally had just got drafted. So then I knew internally with Coach Smith. Our secretaries at the basketball office, when we would call, would be so excited. And I was like, man, the secretaries are just as important because they're the first line of the communication with everyone that calls and how everyone's going to feel when they come in. So every part of it, every part of basketball is important from the secretaries to the ball boys to the, they all create the cha- championship atmosphere. And I realized that. Now in the NBA, you end up being with Houston, you end up winning some NBA championships. What was that experience like? Uh, how did that differ from your collegiate experience? Well, I, I think the difference is, you know, obviously the financial part of it, you know, sometimes dictates why guys want to stay in a, in a, at, a, at a place. But more importantly, I always felt that it was my job to bring the thought process that I had been instilled with, even as a player, to the front office, to locker room, in my small ways. And, 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 and I, never, I never wavered from that. I never you know, would say, oh, well, this is the way they do it here. Uh, in Houston. This is the way. No, this is the way I know that I've been around champions, that they've done it. And I'm going to always, if I can't demand it, I'm going to always suggest it. And um, so I never wavered from that. So in Houston, Rudy was great because he took a lot of our suggestions. So I, 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 I said, about you Rudy, know, Rudy Tomjanovich. Rudy Tomjanovich and, and um, Dawson, Carol Dawson. They were really great at listening. Uh, you know, they had things like before I got there, like certain players would park and then other players would park in another. And it really was basically first class parking. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't everyone park in the same place? I just, just to create a mental aspect, coach. I'm like, Carol, like everyone should just park in the same place. So no one feels left out. They're like, oh, it makes sense. That's not hard. So then all of a sudden, all of those little things builds team chemistry. And I thought that Houston was great because they listened to us. And also they were very smart in terms of strategic picking the right people to come into that environment. You know, I thought Carol Dawson did a great job of figuring out, bringing, bringing in guys like Mario Ellie, you know, who would, you would say, well, Mario Ellie's a good player. Does he make, but he just fit the personality of what we were. Robert Ory, drafting Robert, drafting Sam Cassell. You know, those guys were integral, not in their basketball skill, but their mental thought process. Do they fit into the mental aspect? And I thought they did a great job. So when you think about the NBA today, and we've got two teams, you know, with the uh, Warriors in the Heat, that had the big three philosophy at one time, where the Heat were the first to do it, uh, with Wade, Bosch, and LeBron, and then obviously the Warriors uh, with uh, the Bruce brothers and with Durant. So uh, when you think about today and what you were talking about, the roster, and being able to see what's happened to the Lakers, 
where they've had three uh, large payroll uh, assets trying to balance the squad as you were talking about, the one through 15, the one through 12 or whatever. How do, what do you think the direction the NBA is going and what do you advocate for? I think the NBA, I think the one thing that, you know, when everyone watches uh, teams to me, you know, I have a lot of friends that are presidents, general managers, you know, and, you know, we, we talk from time to time, a lot of time, honestly. But they're so, like, my job is to watch 24 teams, not to watch one. So when they make moves, I go, that's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Because that's not the trend of what's going to work in the league. You know, when you're looking at your hand, a lot of time you get consumed by what is in your hand. And you're not paying attention to what everything else is going on. My job for the last 20 years is always to pay attention to the league. So I could tell you from day one, I'm like, that's not going to work. Second part is a lot of the players that are, you know, today's players, either I work out with, I've, you know, I have AU programs I've seen since they were 16, 15 years old. I kind of seen their trajectory of who they are. I seen the people they associate with off the court. So I, I'm like, that guy's not going to fit. The personality's not going to fit. Forget about the, the basketball structure. So I think the trend now where this is going to end, where I could just get the best players and win. Player development doesn't start when the guy comes to you and you start developing him. It's also knowing where he had transcended from and where he where his trajectory is going. And if you don't have a a steady diet of knowing where this guy was at 15 to where he was with, to become a one and done, then I think your staff only think that they can make him better. And you have that, you have been doing your homework for much longer or have a staff that has done their homework for a long time in the process. And to me, that's the best teams to win. As great as Golden State was, they were great before Kevin Durant came. Because Mark Jackson had knew the trajectory of Draymond Green and said, you know what? I'm going to insert this guy into this lineup, an undersized power forward play center. You know what? Steph Curry, you know, Mark and I talked about it. He's like, Steph Curry, before Mark Jackson come, used to came there, would sit in the fourth quarters and would not play because they said defensively he couldn't play. So they would start Monte Ellis and they would play him over him. and. He's like, no, but all the attributes that he's done from high school, forget, we used to talk about, remember when in high school, when we watched Curry play in high school at AAU circuit and we see him, yeah, he was able to defend then. So that transcending of players, you have to know, and then you have confidence to make those decisions. So if you think about the eight teams left, uh, mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, that you know, were, you had the big three concept with the Heat, initially and then we, you just talked about the Celtics do you think it's going the direction of more of one really strong player really superstar player like Doncic like um uh like we see uh with with Giannis yeah Giannis <laughs> absolutely and then supporting <clears throat> cast around it is a better way to build a roster financially and from the standpoint of chemistry I think chemistry is the most important part like you can have great players and you could you could put guys together that are great and win, but if you don't understand where they've come from, you don't understand the trajectory of what they their personalities are, and that's where 
And then analytically, the third part, you put all those together. It's not one, it's not the other. And I think a lot of times the franchises, a lot of franchises that I talk to, they they rely heavily on one. And when really it's a combination of the three. And and they and it's one third in each pot. You could do both. You still could do both. But I think it's easier, cost efficient, and much more logical to say, if I'm Denver, it's going to be hard to say, I'm going to get the top free agents to come to Denver. I mean, it's a great place to live, but for certain people, it's not a great place to live for a, a, for a large population of NBA players. So we got to develop, we got to draft right, and we have to understand chemistry of team of, of, of personality. So I think you could do both. I think the easiest way is to do the latter, is to draft correctly, develop correctly, and not give up on it. Because you also have to understand that a lot of the uh, franchise at this point, they haven't seen college trajectory in a while. So they forget how a player can develop from freshman year to junior year. If you looked at Kenny Smith as his freshman, as a freshman in North Carolina, and you've seen him as a senior, you go, wait a minute, he's the best player in the country and a senior. That's a three-year, three-and-a-half-year period. So to understand that when you're drafting a one-and-done and knowing that your trajectory that he's going on is the correct one, even though he, you're not getting the results that you want, that is the tough part. And a lot of them haven't seen it because it's, it hasn't happened lately. It hasn't happened in the last 10 years where you have to know how a guy can traject in a three-year span. Do you think I think that's what I'm good at. I think that's why I'm great on – that's what makes me, honestly, Deb, that's what I do on TV. I could, I could say – I could see that. And people go, man, he's so smart. Oh, he's this. He's so intuitive. I'm like, I've been in those settings. And so when I say things, it, it sounds unique. But at the same time, it's something that's just, I know. That, that's what I do. Do you think Pat, one of the advantages Pat Riley has is he's seen a lot of different trajectories? A hundred percent. I think Pat is, has seen it. I think Masai, Masai does a great job of seeing it as well, knowing, you know, the Siakams of the world, you know, yep. kind of figure out the Van Vliet's of the world, kind of like, okay, this is where he should be. And if he continues on that, and if he puts the work in, all right, that's the mix. But, you know, there are franchises who haven't done a great job of it and that, you know, traditionally have the money, they have the assets, you know, they have great cities, they have the money to do it, they have owners that are willing to go over the salary cap, they have willing, owners that are willing to make trades, but they just can't get it done. And that's why. It really is. It's a unique talent. It's kind of like, there are instructions to make a cake. But then every now and then you have to take a little bit of sugar out. You got to add a little more um, vanilla extract. You have to add, you know, maybe let's use egg white this time instead of all of the egg. So those little details is what makes you the best chef in the world. And when you have 20, 32 teams doing the same thing, you have to know when to take that, that sugar out. <laughs> you got to know when to take it out. How does a guy like James Jones make that transition from player uh, to take over the Suns and be able to build a roster like he's done and hire a coach? You, 
outside looking in, I think the fact that he's able to say he could look at it and go, well, you can't lie to me. Like, I had a conversation with Masai one time, and um, I'm sitting in his office, and Danny Green comes in. <laughs> and it's during the playoffs. It's the Eastern Conference Final. I said something to Danny. Danny just walks in his office, and he's talking about tickets or whatever. And on his way out, I said, Danny, like, like, why are you guarding him like that? Or you can't take that shot. Why are you? I don't even remember exactly what I said. So he walks out the office and Masai goes, you need to be a, a president of a team. Yeah, I remember like that. Yeah, he, he connected me because I was involved with him going to Toronto. And that's how you and I connected. And I said, why? He said, what you just said, I could never say to him. But what I say to him, you could always say to him. He said, because being a player, being a champion, being with all of these things, and he couldn't lie to you in that moment. Danny would have said something totally different. I've asked him the same question, and he gave me a different reaction. Because it's you, as a player, he's going to have that. And I think that's what James has. Devin Booker can't walk in and go, give him standard answer 101. He's like, no, 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 bro. Like, I've been with LeBron. I've been with... You can't give me that answer. So he knows it. And he's also going to give it to him in a delivery, probably, that only a player can deliver it. So now he has the ears of the players. Then his coaching staff can't come in there and go, you know, Monty, before Monty, the coaches couldn't come in and go, hey, you know what? You know, we just didn't play well because the guy. No, 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 no. We had enough rest. We took the right flight. We left at the correct time. Why didn't we win? He can't give the standard answer because he's been in the locker room. And so now there's those conversations. It's kind of like your kids when they, you ask them, how was your school? And they go, oh, good. Some people they can get away with. And then some people say, no, no, you can't say good to me. Because they're going to ask the question. They're going to go, well, how was science class? And how, how did you do on the periodic table? That's a deeper question than how was school today? And that's what I think James is able to do. What's interesting is Memphis, their general manager, right, Kleiman? I mean, he, mm -hmm. he comes from USC, a lawyer from Duke. He starts out as a general counsel. Then he moves over into basketball operations as the number two, and then he moves into it. I mean, it's kind of a surprising trajectory. And he's done, a, I think, a really good job in terms of putting that roster together. So it's Yes, a, I mean, it, it, I think typically you would say that from the outside looking in, it would be easier. His path is, I think, is possible, but I just think it's harder. I think not being in the environment and then all of a sudden changing the environment, understanding it and figuring it out, I think is a harder process. It's not impossible. I mean, he's doing a hell of a job. I, I just think it's an easier process if you put the work in. Because there is a a business acumen that you have to learn that you don't have of being a player. There's a very strong business acumen that you have to say, I'm going to decide to dive into the business acumen and really put the same effort that I know as and I did as a player. But as a businessman, you can never say, I'm going to dive into the player aspect because you've never had it. So I think that's what makes it tougher. But it's not impossible. Some of my best coaches weren't great players. Uh, some of my best individual like workout people, they weren't great players. 
but they really said, I'm going to dive in and ask questions and I'm going to dive in and see why Michael Jordan was great. I'm going to talk to Michael. I'm going to talk to, you know, LeBron. I'm going to talk to Shaq. I'm going to talk to Charles and I'm going to see why they were great. But at the same time, I'm going to talk to Kenny Smith, James Jones, who I'm going to talk to other guys why they were solid members on these, in these great teams. Like, so I'm going to talk to all of them. James Jones has been around all of them. So it's a little bit easier. He just has to really die. He had to dive into the business acumen and saying why this trade couldn't work or because of financial reasons or why, why that can't even happen. Why we can't do that. Kudos to him in Memphis because he's doing a hell of a job. When you think about the position, you know, the president, the general manager, basketball operations, I mean, the, most people that are our listeners, you know, tend to think about it being just about selection of players. Talk about the complexity of how the role has changed and what you think the different verticals are that today's current president or GM need to be able to manage. Numero uno, you should know your, your basketball acumen has to be super high. That's the number one aspect. But the, your people skills has to be even higher. I think, you know, understanding people, understanding relationships from agents to players. Then when you move out, I think also working hand in hand, because I look at it as tiers, working with understanding what is the relaying the message to business affairs, what your team is going to look like. So it could be projected into the city and into the nation because that's an important part because and people are why why is that so important because now players that aren't with you tends to trade what type of team you are and they will make their decisions as a free agent or when they get traded to you how they come in based on what they've heard through the messages that you've sent through business affairs and if you don't pay attention to that it really hurts your franchise if you they go well this is a franchise that is let's say let's say miami there's not a player that goes to miami by trade free agency that don't expect to do extra hour work now does every team do extra hour work yes but the expectation is to go there and work harder than anywhere else. So now you have guys with the expectation that I'm going to work there and work harder. And that's what Pat Riley has done. When you go to certain franchises, when you go to you go to Toronto, you're saying, we're going to be encompassed in these 12 guys, and you're going, everyone gets along here. So everyone's expecting when I go there, oh, I'm going to get along with everyone. That's the messages that are being sent out. I was going to say, thinking about the 76ers, you know, they have a successful big man, didn't get uh, MVP this year. But as you look at the construction of the roster, uh, the coach, Daryl Morey coming in, trying to orchestrate the trade, getting the hard in there. I mean, how do you see the chemistry in that organization? Going forward, Daryl has done a great job, obviously, in Houston. Uh, he's someone that I actually talked to and leaned on at certain times. Yeah, he actually brought me in one, uh, to interview a coaching job in Houston when it was there uh, at one time. I think but what happened this year, the message. The message, I think, actually hurt Embiid to win the MVP. If the message was, oh, we're precise, we're clean, we have our direction, we know where we're going, I think the discombobulation 
people were like off put off putting franchise because of what was going on with Ben, which theoretically seeps into people being off putting about your players. And so now when it's a 50-50 vote, I'm going to lean in Denver because there's no headache drama coming out of Denver. I think when I have a 50-50 vote, your best player didn't win the MVP because of that. And that's what I'm talking about messaging. Now, when you have the MVP of the league, the message that goes out to players is best player in basketball. I got to figure out a way to get to that city. Now the message is they, they might not win the NBA. They, 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 they might not win the championship. The guy maybe wasn't the best player. Do I really want to go to Philly? You see how simple that is as a as like one message could change the trajectory of your franchise. And you have to, you, know, you we go back to your earlier question. So as a president or the general president of a team, you have to stay on top of that. You have to, that is the most, because most people believe a, a lie will travel around the world in 30 seconds. The truth is in a, in a chariot. You know what I mean? The truth is in a chariot. And you got to stay on that go out. It, it could have, it, it affects the way people believe you are and affects you from winning titles when I mean, you have that opportunity. The, the way you're discussing relationships, that seems to be why uh, Mark Cuban decided on Nico Harrison from Nike. You know, someone that had tremendous relationships with the players uh, at different levels and so forth. So, I mean, that's an unusual uh, move, in my opinion, as you look at, you know, people in, in the in the general manager roles. I didn't know what your reaction to when he was put together with Jason. Well, the, the only I know, Nico, the only reason I didn't think it was so unusual, because you, his role at Nike was also to evaluate talent, to see who they're going to give the next Nike deal to. Okay. So now he had to come in with a trajectory of like watching a guy in 14, 15 and saying, we can give this guy a multi-million dollar shoe deal and he could sell sneakers. That also was part of his, his job description. So that in turn, you are evaluating talent. And if you, and if you guess wrong, you're going to get fired. If you guess wrong, if you say, hey, this guy could get a shoe deal or this guy could get dollars a year to represent our brand and you're wrong on multiple occasions, you're fired. But he was right a lot. He and Lynn Merritt were light, right a lot. And so they they not only when Michael Jordan leaves, they elevate the brand even more, you know, then he can he can possibly do a job like that because now what he has to learn is the business acumen. Mm -hmm. Can he learn the business acumen? Yes. And because he he's and he's talking to the best players every day. So he gets to hear their fabric. And he talks about, you know, on those Nike trips and oh, why we won and why we didn't win. He's hearing all the intel of other franchises and what they're doing right and wrong from a player's point of view. So he had a unique element that no one else had so i think i i can understand how mark could be interested and if he comes in with the right interview he could say you got the job so taking all your experience as a player 
And then what you've done as an analyst in terms of looking at all these games, I mean, it, it makes sense that people ought to be looking at you. Well, for me, you know, the, I, the one thing that I've been, all the franchises, at some point I've been behind the curtain. Yep. Every franchise have taken me behind the curtain and seen what they've done. I don't use that pretty much that information on television because that's not what I, my job is. My job is to analyze that game, why you lost, and when you lost that game. But behind the curtain, I've seen that you're going to continue to lose <laughs> or you're going to continue to win. And so that, that information, along with the experience of you know, being around it and playing it, along with sitting next to you know, arguably two, you know, two of the best players that ever played at their position and maybe in the, and that ever played the game, along with the Kobe Bryants and the Kevin Durants and that always frequent and that we're always around and being part of, you know, I think that aspect is a collection of information that just, at times I feel like, and that's when I'm like, okay, I just can't let this information sit. I, I got to let it, I have to give this information to a bigger place because otherwise it's just getting wasted. And, uh, and then the competitive drive, like who doesn't want to be a competitor? Who want, who doesn't want to have, wanted to affect winning and losing? You know, it's always, it's easy for me to go, this is why you're going to lose and then show it on a film and then it happens and then, and then pat yourself on the back, but you didn't affect the game. You really didn't affect if it won or lost. But that's what I miss more than anything, that drive to affect the winning and losing. But I have, like I said, it just, that information is just locked up right now. As you think about what you would bring the number one advantage to an owner, what would you, what would you say that is? I think behind the curtains of 24 teams, again. Like, so you really want to understand why things I'm up for an Emmy this year, not because I don't think I'm, uh, you know, um, I'm funnier than or more, but I'm just able to relate information in 30 seconds and see things that people typically look past and see the value in those. So now you're getting someone who has can understand the value of the things that go on in circle in circle winning and why, how it affects. A lot of people can't relate the two. And then take the uh, analytics and put those in as well because I have to use the analytics on the show. It's like, so now I'm seeing the analytics, talking to the player, I'm talking to the coaches, and I'm seeing it actually develop in a game. And, can, and so I'm putting it all together. So I don't know if there's, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but I don't know four or five people in the world that, have the information that I have or have access to it for this long. Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't know four people in the world like, that. you know, I could call Bob Myers today and he's going to give me information and talk about or ask me questions. I could call, you know, President X, owner B, and they're going to say things to me and ask me about things that knowing that, it, that because it, I'm not, I don't break stories. So it's not, I'm not Stephen A. Smith. I'm like, I'm not, I, the, for me to break a story is not a big deal. Or I'm going to get a call from a player and say, hey, should I go with this agent? 
Hey, should I go with this organization? Hey, Kenny, my game, I'm missing shots. Can you go in the gym with me and work with me this summer? I'm like, yeah, I got you. Come on out. I, I think I don't know four or five people in the world that gets all of those different types of calls. I, I really don't. Well, I would agree with you. I think you're unique. And that's why I wanted to have you on and be able to highlight all the things that you've done to make you a potential person to run a front office. And then running into you <laughs> yeah. and giving me the, and giving me the behind the scenes about, I, I thought it was important like to understand like what it took and what are the responsibilities from a business acumen of a, someone who's running a basketball team. And so when Masai said, Hey, you need to go to Florida and spend a day or two down in Florida and hear it. And so learning the business acumen and talking it through it, I think is in the last step because I don't know everything. Uh, you know, there are certain things I don't know. Uh, but the, the good thing about it is the things that I don't know have a learning curve that is faster than the things I don't know that I do know. I the things that I do know would take forever. The things that I don't know has a fast learning curve. It's been a pleasure having you on. I know it's past your time. Man, it's fun, man. And I can't wait down to get down at that Florida area with you, man. And uh, hanging out in your back backyard because you got you're in the best area of the country, man. It's yeah. the most underrated part of the country I down there in that Tampa area. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure.